7.02. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Live, online. The 7.02 app, DSTV Channel 856, 92.7 and 106 FM. On the show today, South Africa's legal team is in The Hague ahead of its case against Israel to be heard tomorrow. President Ramaphosa delivering the eulogy at the funeral of photographer Dr. Peter Magobane. Evacuations underway in parts of KZN amidst heavy rains. More jobs on the line at Gold One Mine. And the second edition of the SA20 Cricket Tournament launches today. All of that over the next hour. 7.02. Let's walk the talk. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy Wiener. Good to be with you today. I am watching the funeral photographer, Dr. Peter Magobane, underway in Bryanston today. The great John Carney currently at uh, at the podium. He's been uh, speaking there. Former President Thabo Mbeki is in attendance. We are waiting for the current president, Cyril Ramaphosa, to speak. Uh, he's just standing up to shake the hand of John Carney. Panyaza Lasufi, the Gauteng Premier, also in attendance. So we'll bring you that live as soon as it happens. We start today with uh, the news that is leading the bulletins. The South African legal team arriving at The Hague in the Netherlands, where the Justice Minister Ronald Lamola is leading the team that will present South Africa's case against Israel in the International Court of Justice tomorrow. South Africa taking Israel to court for allegedly committing genocide in Gaza. Hamas says 23,000 people have been killed since October last year. Israel's war on Gaza coming in response to a surprise attack by Hamas on the 7th of October, in which 1,200 people were killed and hundreds more kidnapped. Ronald Lamola has been speaking about the case. He's been saying, I think we have a strong case. We obviously cannot preempt the court's rule and outcome, but we believe we have assembled a capable team. We've also submitted very strong evidence for the court to consider. So that's what the minister has been saying. The president, uh, Sir Ramaphosa, speaking about this earlier in the week in Pumalanga during the ANC's uh, January 8th celebrations, birthday celebrations. Have a listen to what President Ramaphosa has had to say. The people of Palestine today are being bombed they are being killed, and there is apartheid there in Israel today. And we were duty-bound to stand up and support the Palestinians. And that is why we have taken the government of Israel to the International Court of Justice. Because there is genocide Israel. And we do this, comrades. We do this. And some people say it's risky. We are a small country. We are a small economy. So the case is due to be heard at the International Court of Justice tomorrow. And Israel, of course, responding to that. I'll play you some audio of the Israeli President Isaac Herzog in a minute. But South Africa's legal team essentially is saying that uh, an attack involving atrocity crimes uh, can justify the violation of the Genocide Convention. So the court will focus on these hearings and South Africa's call for the court to declare interim measures against Israel pending the determination of the genocide case against it. So in short, South Africa's main argument is that Israel's actions are genocidal in character 
as they are committed with the requisite specific intent to destroy Palestinians in Gaza as part of the broader Palestinian national, racial and ethnic group. So that's verbatim from the document that's been released, about 80 pages long, where you can go and have a look at what South Africa's case is. South Africa's application saying evidence of Israeli state officials' specific intent to commit and persist in committing genocidal acts or to fail to prevent them has been significant and overt since October 2023. Now, in response, the uh, the spokesperson for the uh, Israeli government saying that Hamas had genocidal intent when it perpetrated an act of genocide on Israeli soil on the 7th of October. Elon Levy saying it was an act of genocide perpetrated with Nazi-like cruelty and Nazi-like efficiency. Israel's president, Isaac Herzog, has also been speaking about this. He's labelled South Africa's case of genocide against his country as atrocious and preposterous. Have a listen to what the Israeli president has been saying. Thursday, a proceeding will start in the International Court of Justice in The Hague, whereby South Africa has sued Israel for supposedly genocide. There's nothing more atrocious and preposterous than this claim. Actually, our enemies, the Hamas, in their charter, call for the destruction and annihilation of the state of Israel, the only nation state of the Jewish people. The Convention Against Genocide was uh, enacted by the international community following the worst atrocities of humankind, the Shoah, the Holocaust, which was aimed specifically against the Jews, the Jewish people, in order to eliminate the Jewish race, the Jewish people. In Hamas's charter, it's almost identical in many, many ways. And here, with the hypocrisy of South Africa, we will be there at the International Court of Justice and will present proudly our case. That's Israel's President Isaac Herzog. Well, let's go straight to Crispin Piri, who is the spokesperson for the Ministry of Justice. Crispin's just landed in the Netherlands. Uh, Crispin, take us through the case that is going to be made. We know that the document has been released and it outlines exactly the case that uh, South Africa is going to be making. But give us some of the, the key points. Good morning, Mandy, and good morning to our listeners. Good afternoon. Yes, indeed, we've just arrived... Uh, at the Netherlands, the minister is leading a delegation to the ICJ where we will present our case to the International Court of Justice. And in essence, what we're saying is that the utterances, particularly of a number of influential leaders in the Israeli regime, really shows that the conduct has genocidal intent and the killing of civilians, as we have seen, and the number now has risen to approximately 23,000, it's rising by almost 1,000 a day, um, is, is something that is quite deliberate and intended to annihilating particularly Palestinians and civilians. Uh, it's no longer a proportional attack based on what had happened on the 7th of October. South Africa has uh, gathered a, a formidable, as has been described, a legal team to, to argue this case. I'm sure that comes with a, a hefty uh, bill as well. Um, are you confident of your case? No, Mandy, it doesn't come with a hefty bill, as some of these words have really, out of their own volition, have uh, really sought to be on the side of justice and on the side of humanity. We are really confident of our case, and we really do believe that this is something very important for the international community, uh, particularly because we want multilateral institutions to work. And thus far, we've seen that multilateral institutions have been used uh, in perverse and inconsistent manner. So this will really help us.
uh, ensure that these, uh, these institutions work in our favor. Not in our favor, but in humanity's favor. Crispin, why does South Africa feel that it should be leading this application? The government has repeatedly said it believes it can play a mediation role, that it intends to, to be neutral, uh, as it has been in Russia, Ukraine. The international relations DG, Zane Dangor, has acknowledged the case may damage relationships with Western powers. So why is South Africa compelled to lead this case? Well, we we have led a number of other cases as well in the world. Well, not cases, but um, a number of other discussions in the world that require uh, peace and mediation. And so this is not the first. It's consistently, consistently what we have done. And this is not an exception. Um, so uh, we leave it at that. Um, the TG of international relations, of course, is with us. And once the opportunity arises, we'll also be able to explain quite in depth our foreign relations policy. But mine is always to extrapolate on our legal principles and why and why we act in the way we do. So our legal principles are constantly driven by um, our constitution and even in the spirit of Ubuntu. And that's, and that's what we'll see um, at the level of even the hate. Crispin, I know you need to go. So thank you very much, Crispin Piri, the Justice Ministry spokesperson. Many people arguing why is the case not being made uh, in terms of Russia and Ukraine as well. Uh, and uh, that is something that we will uh, look at as well. Lindsay Dentlinger, EWN reporter, joining us now to preview what we can expect from uh, the arguments tomorrow. Lindsay, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. We have a fairly good indication of what South Africa's case is going to be tomorrow. Uh, the South African legal team has three hours tomorrow. Israel then has three hours to respond on Friday. And from the South African application, we, we do have a fairly good idea, right, of what the, the case is going to be. Good afternoon, Mandy. Yes, um, well, the court set out two hours, in fact, for each side to bring their case in the two respective days. And I think it's important to point out that while in the main, South Africa is asking the court to consider whether Israel's actions in Gaza are tantamount to genocide, what we will only hear over the next two days are these interim measures. There are nine of them set out in that 84-page um, document. And in the main, obviously, they deal with an immediate ceasefire and then all the accompanying uh, humanitarian aid and assistance to Palestinian people for them to be able to uh, return to their homes and to be given the services uh, and, and the, all the other kinds of um, access to health, etc., that they have not been able to um, have access to over the last few months. So those are the immediate um, arguments that the court will hear over the next two days. And of course, uh, we've seen in the past that genocide cases before this particular court can take uh, years for a decision. So we don't expect an outcome to come very soon on the main part of this case and the merits of these genocide claims, but more immediately um, South Africa will be hoping that the court will make some kind of decision that will put a, a, an end to um, Israel's military operations in Gaza. And importantly, as you point out, these are interim measures. So there'll still be a, a long, longer argument down the line. We don't know as much about uh, Israel's defense. We do expect them to argue uh, self-defense. The spokesperson saying that Hamas had genocidal intent when it perpetrated an act of genocide on Israeli soil on the 7th of October. What do we know about how Israel intends to, to argue? Well, as you said, very little there. As far as I know, the um, arguments have not been shared in writing. What's very important, uh, Mandy, also um, to point out to our listeners is that um, South Africa currently doesn't have a judge, a permanent judge, 
uh, on the International Court of Justice. Um, Professor Deresh Lade will join that bench in a permanent capacity next month. And so both Israel and South Africa have made uh, very eminent nominations uh, for judges to sit on that bench in an ad hoc basis uh, to hear these arguments over the next few days. And I think that is um, a very key uh, aspect of this case. But in answer to your question, I've just been listening to what has been happening at the United Nations General Assembly, where Israel, South Africa, and a number of countries have um, been discussing um, more specifically the UN's veto, Security Council's veto power, um, which has um, resulted in there being no ceasefire being agreed to to this point. But Israel really saying that South Africa is weaponizing this genocide convention, as you know, uh, it came into being as a, uh, you know, in response to the Holocaust, uh, and Israel saying that um, South Africa is really um, being hypocritical and turning uh, this genocide convention, uh, you know, against um, uh, Israel and not uh, in the same manner responding to the way in in which um, Hamas has been, um, uh, you know, their attacks uh, on Israel. So uh, Israel obviously very much uh, opposed to this case, and it's. Uh, Ray, I'm, I'm, I hear mm. from legal experts that Israel does come out to defend itself. So I think it is going to be a very important matter to hear what they say in defense on Friday. Lindsay, thank you. Lindsay Dentlinger, EWN reporter there. She pointed out the former Deputy Chief Justice Tikhang Moseneke has been nominated by South Africa as an ad hoc judge to hear the case. And then Israel has nominated the retired Israeli Supreme Court President Justice Aharon Barak as their judge of choice to be on the ICJ bench. Let's get some analysis now on this with Dr. Mia Swart, the visiting professor at Witts Law School. Dr. Swart, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much uh, for your time today. Uh, Lindsay mentioned there about the genocide conventions um, and, and and how they came into being post uh, post the Holocaust. How how unique is this kind of application, and what precedent is there? Uh, good day, uh, Mandy. Well, provisional measures get ordered by the ICJ fairly regularly. It's not a new thing. Uh, South Africa, of course, has brought this application because urgent intervention is necessary. We see women and children dying every day and in their thousands. So South Africa has boldly taken this step. Um, In terms of provisional measures, uh, the ICJ has previously uh, ordered provisional measures against the Myanmar government in 2019 when they were committing genocide against the Rohingya minority. They have ordered it against Bosnia uh, earlier in an earlier provisional matters uh, application. So there is a fair chance that the ICJ will, of course, order provisional measures in this case as well because Mm. the numbers are particularly stark. I mean, it has to be remembered that there's about 25,000 Palestinians who've been killed by now. Uh, Many would argue, and many are arguing, that South Africa should perhaps have brought a similar uh, matter to the ICJ regarding Russia and Ukraine. Why has that not happened? Well, we know that there has been significant criticism also by myself of the South African government in that case, but I do believe that each case should be adjudicated on its own merits, and the death toll has not actually been that high. And there has been significant support for Ukraine by the entire EU, for example, whereas Palestine has never enjoyed that kind of support. So I do think South Africa is doing the right thing in this regard.
Thank you very much, Dr. Mia Swart, visiting professor at the Wits Law School, giving us uh, some analysis there. Uh, we will bring you other voices as well throughout our coverage this week to ensure that uh, that all the views are ventilated on this matter. I know it's a very polarizing issue, uh, but that's a, a preview of what's happening there. Uh, the South African team being led by Justice Minister Ronald Lamola is in The Hague in the Netherlands, and uh, that case will be heard tomorrow. Proceedings will begin at 9 o'clock South African time tomorrow. South Africa's case will be made and then on friday israel will respond 702 the midday report monday to friday 12 to 1 p.m okay let's change tech completely now and have a look at the situation at the gold one Modi east mine operation there uh, we uh, reported earlier in the week about 400 workers being fired for breaching the mine's internal disciplinary processes a snubbing court interdicts as well and now it seems 150 more miners jobs may be on the line at gold one Modi east remember this is all to do with whether or not they uh, are represented by num or by amku we know that the closed shop agreement with NUM was terminated in the middle of December and that the mine has been speaking to AMCO uh, to establish uh, their representation as well. So let's understand this a bit more with Ziad Hassam, who's the head of legal at Gold One. Ziad, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. What is the, the current status of the 400 employees, 401 employees that were dismissed and now the 150 that may uh, be uh, further dismissed? Hi, good afternoon. Um, yeah, so I mean, as 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 has been reported um, throughout this week, uh, the number of employees that have been dismissed, and and this goes back for, to to October last year, um, has has reached um, just just over 400. Now, over half of these were dismissed already um, at the end of November last year, um, and and the the other employees have been dismissed in the early parts of this year. Um, so. And, and, and as you correctly mentioned, there's, there's still um, in excess of 100 employees who are on suspension um, and they, uh, they, they, their disciplinary hearings will likely take place within the next week. Um, and, and, and that ranges for, um, across various incidents uh, or, or various offences committed um, over the course of the two incidents of last year. And Ziad, what is the current status of of the closed shop agreement? We know that that one with Norm was terminated in December, uh, and and the situation with Amco has that all been formalised? Um, so, so the closed shop agreement terminated on the fourteenth of December. Um, that same day, we had a, an initial meeting with Amco, um, setting out the process that that would be followed um, in order to have um, the the verification done, and the their status um, as as a union recognised. Um, the, the the verification process has now been set down for tomorrow. Um, it will be uh, chaired and facilitated by the CCMA, um, and where representatives of the mine, um, AMCO and NUM will all be present. Um, and essentially, what we'll be doing um, as a start will be to do a desktop verification. Um, of the employees and, and have a determination then as to um, how many of those employees which AMCO claim um, have, have submitted a debit order forms um, are in fact um, AMCO supporters um, and have in fact also given resignation uh, to, to the NUM. So, so that process will, will, will happen tomorrow uh, depending on how, uh, how, how quickly things progress tomorrow. 
um, that, that will give us an indication as to the length of time we're looking at to, to finalize that process. Um, as of this morning, we've had um, once again um, information coming across that there may be planned uh, protest action underground either this morning or this evening. So once again, we've taken a precautionary measure and we've, we've called off uh, the day shift as well as, um, and we, we, we're still making a decision as to um, what we'll do um, with this evening shift. Um, we are also in meetings with the NUM this afternoon as well as with AMCU um, just to get a sense of um, you know, where, where things are and, and to be consistent in the messaging that, we all, that, that all three parties are providing to employees. Ziad, thank you very much. Ziad Hassam, Head of Legal at Gold One, speaking to us there about the situation at the mine. Well, let's speak now to Livawani Mamburu, who's the national spokesperson for the NUM. Livawani, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. Uh, we did hear from Ziad there saying that they called off the day shift. They may have to call off the night shift because of a potential planned action. Are you aware of any such planned action? Uh, good afternoon, Mindy, and listeners of Radio 72. We, we are aware... Um, we got that intelligent also as as, as the NVM. Uh, it was also communicated to the um, to the company. Um, so we are happy that they have cancelled the shift um, because we don't want to see a situation where our members are brutally assaulted and beaten up, like uh, what had happened to with with the uh, two previous incidents in October and November. So, but we are we are we are. We are scared of these threats that um, um, that are happening at the mine, and they are causing serious instability, as we speak. What is Noom's reaction to uh, the fact that 401 employees have been dismissed, 150 more jobs uh, could be on the line? We are not happy with the blanket approach that has been taken by the mine management uh, to dismiss uh, um, more than 445 uh, workers. Because some of these employees um, uh, were forced to stage a sitting underground against their will. And they now find themselves facing dismissal. So that is why as the NVM, we have taken a decision that um, we are going to represent those employees who were forced uh, in those hostage situations against their will. And uh, we have already... We, uh, 95 of our, of our members have, of, uh, have already approached them, uh, approached us, saying that they've um, uh, appealed the dismissal. So NUM will represent them in those appeals. We did also hear about the engagements that are underway with uh, AMCU. Uh, as we mentioned, the uh, closed shop agreement with NUM was terminated on the 14th of December. Uh, what is NUM's position on, on this, the closed shop agreement, and whether AMCU should be representing workers there or not? Then we took a, a, a deliberate and unilateral decision to cancel that shop, shop, close shop agreement because we did not want to see a situation where there, there, there could be violence, there could be instability. We wanted to safeguard the, um, the jobs of our members. And um, for us, uh, any member who wants to join any union have, uh, has, has the right to do that. Um, the Constitution guarantees freedom of association. So, we, so as the NEM, we don't have any problem.
Libuani, thank you very much. Libuani Mamburu, the national spokesperson for the NUM, speaking to us there about the situation at uh, Gold One Moda East Operations. As we heard from the mine management from Ziad Hassam, uh, that they, they, they've called off the day shift there because of intelligence, as we heard from Num, that there may be further disruptions. Uh, the night shift might be called off as well. So we will be watching that. We've had two incidents now of uh, a sit-in, a hostage situation. It depends who you ask about that. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Hi, Mandy. Mandy, this country is led by fools, old people who don't know what they're doing. These people, government of ANC, they are busy supporting Russia that is uh, killing innocent people in Ukraine. Now, they say, Israel, what is doing is wrong. What are the difference between the people of Ukraine and people of Palestine? Now they're taking uh, Israel to court. How much are we going to pay there as taxpayers? Because it's our money. ANC Greenies are doing as they please here in South Africa. They must be removed. Good afternoon, Mandy. Christy from uh, West Pretoria. Can you maybe shed light on how big the party or the, the group is that went to The Hague? Uh, if they all flew business class, since there's no substantial cost to us, the taxpayers, according to Crispin, um, I'd really like to know. Um, secondly, can you imagine if the government of this country put the same passion and effort into actually protecting their own people, um, clearing backlog cases and focusing on us as taxpayers and residents and citizens? Thank you very much for those WhatsApp voice notes. As, uh, as our colleague Stephen Grused often says, the only thing consistent about South Africa's international relations policy is how inconsistent it is. And that's the argument coming through there. And and a, a very predominant line of questioning and one which I pose to Crispin Peary, the spokesperson for the Justice Ministry, is how much is this costing? Or the suggestion um, that, that I made to him was that this is a, a pretty formidable legal team that has been gathered. There are a number of silks, there are a number of inter- national law experts from the UK uh, that are joining forces and he uh, suggested that there is no great expense, uh, not specifically, uh, to the taxpayer because they're doing it in the interest of humanity, I think was the word that he used. Uh, But that seems to be a question from a lot of people, is how is this being funded and who is paying for it? 702 702. Mandy Wiener Weekdays 12 to 1 p.m. Let's go to KwaZulu-Natal now because uh, emergency services have uh, begun evacuating residents living in some areas where, particularly around the Henley Dam, where heavy rains, rapidly rising dam levels have increased the risk of flooding. We know around Ladysmith that there have been concerns. Uh, several roads have been closed um, and the uh, Clip River burst its banks for the second time in as many weeks as well. Some of the roads had to be temporarily closed to mitigate risks. Ntlantle Mabasu has been in the area for us and has been asking questions of officials. What has been done since the last great flooding uh, in KwaZulu-Natal and what is being done now? Ntlantle Mabasu, Eyewitness News reporter joining us. Ntlantle, good afternoon to you. Firstly, uh, tell us where you've been and what you've seen. Good afternoon, Mandy. We're still at the Utugela Disaster Management Center. This is where MEC Bongres Tolemolo is meeting the district mayor and Andrew Nkosi Shabalala alongside the other local government uh, 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 officials from the uh, Alfred Duma local municipality. I think in a bit to discuss 
the recent heavy rains. Although, ladies, it is not uh, you know, a, stra- a stranger to these natural disasters or weather-related incidents, I think it raises an eyebrow for them to take place two weeks apart. But fortunately, this time, like we mentioned in eyewitness news when reporting that no lives were lost, but of course, any damage to infrastructure calls for a great concern for government. So currently, the government officials broke both from the province, the district, and the local municipality are locked in that meeting and, of course, discussing a way forward. According to MEC Bong, she wants a way forward as to where to from here and what are some of these uh, challenges facing this particular city in this regard when it comes to these inclement weather conditions, mate. Uh, I think the issue really is the fact that lightning keeps striking the same place twice here mm-hmm. um, and, and that this this area and, and various areas around KZN keep getting hit by the floods over yeah. and over again and people have not had the ability to, to rebuild. Um, so so what are the government interventions around that? Well, many nothing, we've seen nothing yet that one would say is tangible for the matter that this is not the first time that we are returning here for this disaster. It raises the same question of what could be done. In fact, I think the question here, Mandy, is what should be done and why has it not been done? Because the South African Weather Services has been, since the beginning of last year, saying that South Africa, I mean, KwaZulu-Natal will be leading with these inclement weather conditions. The main fact is that even before on Monday, the weather services issued that alert, Ladies Smith had already started experiencing those severe rainfalls, then calls for a really uh, a question maybe to the provincial government itself as to uh, what should be done. The matter fact that the 2022 floods, mainly, at Aguini, you recall, the only metro municipality in this province incurred a 25 billion rand worth of damage till this day, not fully recovered from it all. Right. And it raises the eyebrow of what should be done or what hasn't been done. And I'm saying this mainly because I remember it was in this particular district when the presidential legal was held. Last year, I spoke to Cocktail Minister Tedinka Dimon. She raised concerns about money that is injected, but there's no spending. Mm. Thank you very much. Franklin Mabaso, EWN reporter, speaking to us there uh, from those areas around uh, Ladysmith and in KZN where we are seeing uh, flooding and evacuations taking place. Well, let's speak to Sibaniso Mgadi, KZN Cocteau spokesperson, who joins us now. Sibaniso, good afternoon to you. What is the latest uh, that uh, that you can tell us about the uh, situation in various parts of your province? Uh, good afternoon. Yeah, we're currently at the, in Ladysmith, uh, uh, for KZN Cocteau. Bongi West Tolem Law is currently meeting with uh, different stakeholders, the local and the, the district municipalities, particularly the town planners and the engineers. Uh, the reason for this uh, engagement that is currently underway is to look into the immediate solution on what will be uh, provided for the people of Lady Smith. And also, we also are joined by our social partners that we are working together with in disaster response. We, as we are still have people that are currently in community halls. But uh, the, the main aim is to find the solution of the, 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 the flooding in that particular town that has been an ongoing issue for quite some time. Yeah, and that's the point that uh, that I was making with Infantle Mabaso is that lightning does keep striking the same place twice here. What is being done by the KZN government in terms of ensuring that uh, these areas that have been hit by flooding in the past are not, uh, uh, the, the people there who are vulnerable do not suffer yet again? Yeah, well, there has been an intervention as uh, the National Disaster Management Center has also 
uh, releasing some funding to the local municipality of Alfred Duma uh, that governs the late Smith town. Uh, the way uh, intervention that we've done was there is a nearby uh, dam uh, that is not too far from the town that was overflowing and then the water will flow down to the town. And also if you look at the geographical standing of the Lady Smith town, it's built on a, a flood prone area. So it's also a put pressure because it doesn't need to be heavy, heavy rains. But once it started raining, most of the rivers, when they overflow water, they flow to the lower part of the town because it's not the entire town, but it's that two roads towards further down the town that's made an urgent uh, uh, attention. But what uh, the, some of the things that we've done is was to aid the drainage, but also it has uh, proven that they are not uh, sufficient to uh, uh, deal with the amount of water that are flowing down there. So one of the things that we are looking for, the town planners would give us in a, a long-term plan and look at what we can do for now to ensure that uh, we don't get a situation where some businesses had to close for a couple of mm. days until they wait, until the water, the, the water level, until they get lowered. Right. Sibonisa, thank you very much. Sibonisa Mgadi, KZN Cogta spokesperson. Uh, we'll keep watching that situation. And Clant Mabaso, EWN reporter in that area, watching the impact of flooding there. 702, the midday report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. President, President Cyril Ramaphosa currently delivering the eulogy at the provincial official funeral of the late Dr. Peter Magobane, the photographer uh, in Bryanston today. Dr. Magobane was nationally celebrated, globally renowned photographer who documented critical moments in our liberation struggle. Let's have a listen to what the president is saying. Fighter he was. As the New York Times obituary put it, Peter Magubane's images documenting the cruelties and the violence of apartheid drew global acclaim, but punishment to him at home, including beatings, detentions, imprisonment, and 586 consecutive days of solitary confinement. But despite all attempts to break his spirit and to take him away from his craft, he would not put his camera down, as we have all heard. We have heard of how he would smuggle his cameras, as we heard, into hollowed out bread. And I try to imagine the imagery of how one takes out the inners of the loaf of bread and fits in a camera and then proceeds to make it though that you are having your lunch from the bread as you are shooting pictures. He also put his camera in milk cartons and we are even told that he even used the Bible to take pictures without notice of the authorities. I do believe that even Bishop Mpumlana would have agreed with that type of tactic. (laughs) We have heard of how despite having his own job to do and his own deadlines to meet, he always was ready to help and to support fellow journalists working with him in the trenches, including the many foreign correspondents who were in the country recording 
our horrible story at the time. In the Gospel of John, chapter 18, there's an account of the trial of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is brought before Pontius Pilate, who asks him, So you say you are a king? Jesus answers, It is you who say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. At the darkest time in the life of our nation, in a South Africa paralyzed by injustice, Peter Makubani's lens bore witness to the truth. And to quote George Orwell's famous words, in a time of deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. President Cyril Ramaphosa delivering the eulogy at the provincial official funeral of the late Dr. Peter Magobane. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Great to see us assisting internationally um, regarding judiciary and so forth. But it would be great if we could see the same kind of fight and might for the judiciary system in our own country and for the people in our own country that need the assistance as well. Good day, Mandy. You can never put costs to justice. Many countries around the world sacrificed a lot in in the fight against apartheid. They pulled back their businesses. They lost huge profits so that the Mandy today that's on the radio can have free speech and say whatever she has to say. You can never put a price on justice. Israel has to be taken to the ICJ, ICJ for the atrocities it's committing, and the, and Israel's intransigent and uncaring attitude to international law. Thank you very much. So that's the argument that has been made by the South African government. Uh, I did uh, follow up with Crispin Piri because I've received so many questions saying, well, who's paying for this? And he's saying government litigates to defend or advance government policy as a general principle. Can you quantify such costs? I'm not sure. And uh, for clarity, they are not saying uh, who is funding it. Obviously, the government is funding it. Um, And uh, they're not saying the cost of it either, although he did uh, imply that it's not as much as we expect because many of these legal minds uh, want to be involved. I don't know if that means they're doing it pro bono or not. We just do not know that at this stage. 702, the midday report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. 12.51 on the Midday Report. So uh, we are expecting quite a big water outage in Santon later on this week. Joburg Water announcing the 20-hour water outage, which will commence uh, on the Thursday, the 11th of January. So that's tomorrow until Friday. The start time for the outage will be 5 o'clock tomorrow until 1 o'clock on Friday. So let's uh, understand a bit more about this with Makanwasi Maru, who is the Rand Water spokesperson. Makanwasi, good afternoon to you. What is the reason for this uh, interruption? Uh, good afternoon, Mindy, and good afternoon to your listeners. Mindy, we've issued a joint statement with Jobe Quarter. There is a, a valve, it's called an isolating valve that needs to be replaced. So this is more of an emergency maintenance. It was not planned. So like you're saying, it's going to take 20 hours. We need to replace that so that we'll be able to supply water to areas in the north. 
And which areas specifically will be affected and when? Uh, areas that might be affected, we're talking Bryanston, we're talking Ilovo, Morningside, Marlboro and Lindborough. But what the, I'm saying, they might be affected because what we're trying to do to minimize the supply interruptions, we are going to fill up the reservoirs that are supplying centimeters to capacity so that we don't have that big gap in terms of uh, interruption. Okay, so we won't see a situation, for example, where um, these reservoirs may, may drop down in levels, won't be able to, to pump. You're hoping that there won't be that much disruption. We're hoping there won't be disruption. Remember also people do stockpile water when they hear something like this is happening, then the reservoirs will run low. But at the moment we're saying we are filling them to capacity just to minimize supply interruption. Makanosi, thank you very much. Makanosi Maru, Rand Water spokesperson, speaking to us there about that outage that's been announced by both Joburg Water and Rand Water. A 20-hour water outage commencing tomorrow at 5 o'clock until 1 o'clock on Friday. But the impact, um, they're hoping it won't be as bad as what you may think. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. The second edition of the SA20 Cricket Tournament launching today. There's a bit of controversy around it, but this is an argument. It depends on on, on your view. So there's one school of thought that believes that the SA20 has really revitalized and breathed new new life into local cricket. The other argument is, well, we're sending a a, a pretty weak team. Um, Our test team is is pretty weak, the squad that's being sent to New Zealand for a two-match test series. So is this the right approach? Is it not the right approach? Are you ready to go watch SA20? Have you bought your tickets? Stuart Hess, a cricket writer, joining us now. Stuart, good afternoon to you. Thanks for, for your time. So the SA20 gets underway today. What is the um, What are the expectations from cricket fans in South Africa following on from the last SA20? Uh, hi, Mandy. Um, difficult to determine. Um, I think, you know, the first week is going to tell us how cricket fans will, will, will take this on board. I think, you know, if you're going to use last year as a measuring stick, there was a lot of controversy around the tournament then. Um, South Africa had cancelled a one-day uh, series in Australia, which was actually part of the of the automatic qualifying competition for the World Cup. Um, and so there was a lot of controversy then. South African fans really took to this event very quickly. Um, this year, again, <laughs> controversy around the schedules. Uh, as you mentioned, um, the Proteas are sending a weekend team for the tests in New Zealand. Um, and it will be interesting to see how um, cricket fans you know, engage with the tournament this year, given um, what has taken place with the, with the test side. So, I mean, anecdotally, my experience with the SA20 was that it was uh, fantastic for the fans. I, I really enjoyed it. I have my tickets already for uh, for the Wanderers this weekend. Um, and, and is there that expectation that the fans will support it in the same way? We know it's launching today. There's great fanfare. Zakes Bantwini is headlining uh, entertainment in Krabecha, uh this afternoon. So, uh, how are ticket sales doing? Put it that way. I think ticket sales have been going quite well, actually, um, which which does show that I, I think T20 cricket in South Africa is very popular. Um, you know, there is a is a vocal sort of uh, I, I guess group of people in, in in the country that that speak about Test cricket, that support Test cricket. But CSA, when they weigh up these things, Cricket South Africa, when they weigh these things up numbers wise, and they look at how many fans come to a stadium for the Test match and how many people come for a T20 match, well, it's quite obvious to them. Um, what South Africans in the majority feel about T20 cricket. So I suspect 
and and look, I'm using the first week as a gauge here to tell me are are fans really engaging with this tournament again? Um, I suspect it's 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 going to do quite well. And you know, from speaking to people at SA20 the last week or so, um, they are quite optimistic about about the tournament this year. So, of course, all of this is uh, off the back also of that two-day test in, in Newlands and that pitch has been, um, or, you know, the, the real talk of of, uh, of of the situation because we got a, Newlands got a demerit point um, for the quality of, of that pitch. And, and this is the great argument, right, around whether or not uh, we are placing enough emphasis on, on test cricket and our test cricket squad and just generally test cricket in South Africa. So what are the expectations ahead of the New Zealand series then? Well, I think they're quite low um, and understandably so given given what uh, seven players who haven't who haven't been capped previously, including the captain Neil Brandt. I think there's a couple of both who last played four years ago. So um, the expectations are, are quite low. You know, Newlands was was a concern. It was it was deeply embarrassing for both South Africa and Western Province cricket. Um, I think they got a very lightly in the ICC unsatisfactory, only being sanctioned with one demerit. Um, but, you know, Western Province cricket has been in, in, in massive financial trouble the past few years. I had to get a 20 million rand bailout from Cricket South Africa mm. just so that they could host that test match and SA20 that's coming up with yeah. the next So, you know, those factors that, 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 that count um, as far as that is Stuart, thank you very much. Uh, Stuart Hess, cricket writer, speaking to us there. Unfortunately, just losing that, that line at the end there. Apologies for that. But uh, the Betway SA20 getting underway this afternoon. The Sunrisers, Eastern Cape, and the Joburg Super Kings in Kabecha this afternoon. But there is going to be an opening ceremony as well. You can uh, see Zegs Bantwini um, and a bunch of other people uh, taking part today to get the crowd going. That opening ceremony starting at 4.20 at St. George's Park. Uh, so uh, make sure you watch that and and get out there and support uh, the SA20. My personal experience has been that it's uh, it's fantastic for for the fans. But of course, if you're a purist, if you want to watch Test cricket, which I'm a huge fan of as well, then you also want emphasis placed on on Test cricket. And we've got a, a pretty weakened squad by most arguments um, that uh, that will be contesting the New Zealand series. So what are your views on that? What do you think is the right move here? What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Hi, Mandy. Hi, Mandy. Hi, Mandy. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Listen, I don't understand our country. Our country, especially ANC. What are you doing? They like to interfere. The Russia doesn't help us with anything. The Israel doesn't help us with anything. So, they like to go to interfere somebody. Why they not go to Zimbabwe or Malawi or somewhere else? Good afternoon, Mandy. It's a pity the government didn't go after the Guptas with the same efficiency and veracity that they are going after Israel. I think we would have seen justice done. Thank you. That's all I have to say. Lots of views on this issue. I do have to say that I do think the NPA has actually gone after the Guptas with the same, um, you know, veracity and intention uh, that they are dealing with this court case. It's uh, that's it's complex. It's very very complicated. But I understand your point. I think there's lots of views on this. We're going to be discussing it over the next two days as that uh, court case is heard at the ICJ at the Hague tomorrow. It starts at nine o'clock tomorrow morning. South Africa's case will be made, and then on Friday Israel will respond.